Beverly, I don't, I don't know if we've had a PhD student on before, so this is cool. Sports performance and education, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, also, and we'll talk about how that impacts high endurance athletes, which I'm fascinated about because wild and weird enough, I think I have the Ogden Avalanche hat on. Avalanche conditions are like the worst thing of the year right now. Uh, so does that mess with us when we're up high? We'll, we'll talk about that. Beverly, I want to jump to you first because I'm, I'm, I'm intimidated by PhD students. A, are you, Todd's not, he's like, it's so, just, do you love more of the same? You, I mean, you went to school. So I went to school, but for the arts, just more she's in and science. more and more. Uh, what do you study exactly? So right now I am studying health sciences with a emphasis in human and sports performance. So what's like a class you take? <laughs> so right now, a lot of my courses are teaching me how to be a better researcher so that mm. when I am diving into the topics I hope to study, I am competent and looking at quality research. Is this something you thought like, I'm going to do this when you were in elementary, junior high, or is this like a recent discovery? So I have always wanted to go into sports and it wasn't until my undergrad when I was directed to go for nursing where I was like, this isn't for me. Mm. So I took the jump and transferred to exercise science and it was history ever since. Yeah. And what, why like elevation and sports, I guess, endurance sports in general? So a lot of my life growing up, I lived in different places that placed diverse environmental stress on me and ultimately other athletes I worked are other athletes that I climbed with, I skied with. And it was almost shocking. I lived in Minnesota for my undergrad and it's extremely cold there, like negative 40 degrees, crazy cold. It's super in July. In July. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So cold. And my parents lived in Asheville, North Carolina. So the altitude varied, but it was still 300 or 3,000 plus feet higher than it was in Minnesota. Mm. And going back and forth between school breaks and vacation it was just a night and day difference and that drew me to want to explore this more. So you reached out because we have, uh, I'm on Ogden Avalanche, shout out, uh, board and we tried to fit you into the lecture series which maybe we can get you in next year which would be cool. So, um, but it's fascinating to me because some of these, unfortunately some of the people that get caught in slides are some of the most well, well educated about avalanches. Are you diving into that psychology at all? Yeah, so during my master's at the University of Utah, I looked into not only how high altitude impacted our physiology, but also our cognition. Hmm. And it's ultimately... Do we get smarter? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with all experiences, we get a little smarter. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so what happens when we are not getting as much oxygen in per breath, our working muscles, our organs, our brain is deprived of oxygen. So that's going to have a toll on us. And, and do we notice, do we know, do we like say, Oh, I'm all of a sudden not feeling like I should, you know? So research says that we notice a jump 
that's around 700 meters or 25,000 feet change relative to where we are currently acclimated to. Well, that's way up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so around 6,000, do we notice anything or no, or 11,000 never? Or how does that? Well, notice as in we can feel our heart rate increasing. We feel maybe more mm. tired, fatigued. We definitely don't sleep as well. Yeah. Um, but it's all relev- like relative to where you are accustomed to. So say if someone flies in from Florida, we were just talking about this, mm. and comes to ski here in Utah, what they notice in terms of the difference is going to be a lot more dramatic than, say, someone who is coming from Idaho. Mm-hmm. A lower my, altitude in Idaho. Yeah. One, one of my favorite uh, events each year is I go out to, to Park City for Sundance each year, right? And those are the... Those are the celebrities, musicians, you name it, that came from from California, and immediately, they they find their oxygen bars, and they they struggle, they struggle, and that that's one of my questions too. Is have you found that certain certain bodies, certain situations are more susceptible? Yeah, that would be. Int- Can I take a supplement to fix it? Because <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> say that they're just. Ill prepared actors are terrible with elevation. Yeah. <laughs> well, my experience is that, yeah, I mean, that's kind of true, but I'm sure that's the difference between California and Park City. Yeah. So, a lot of the research that I've been diving into is on endurance athletes. So, an endurance, someone who is well trained, like cardiovascularly, they have a strong, you know, heart, have strong heart and lungs, how they respond to this increase in altitude is gonna be different than say your general population or especially compared to individuals who have chronic disease. Yes, and then is there a, say, an elevation jump, like every 5,000 feet it does this or whatever. In other words, like if you go from 10,000 to 15, it's sort of the same difference is going from zero to 5,000 or, or no, or it doesn't work like that. So again, we notice about that 2,500 foot change from where we are accustomed to. 2,500. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. 2,500 okay. feet. Okay. okay. What's the one thing that surprised you the most studying this? So I guess this also drew me to explore what I want to focus on with my dissertation is there is a lot of research being done on how we can use a unrelated stressor like extreme heat to prepare athletes for the demand of high altitude environments, which is kind of crazy to me. With my background, I was always taught like specificity. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was surprising to me. Does it work? So there is, uh, so there's evidence that suggests, well, one, that we should continue to explore um, heat, and again, a novel stressor and its impact on how we perform at high altitudes. And it goes down to the cellular mechanisms or those signaling pathways that are ultimately turned on when we are in a new environmental setting. I have a friend who's fascinated with elevation. I was t- sort of talking to you about this before, but he, and he wants to try, well, I think he has like a cheaper version of a, some sort of breathing apparatus that mimics elevation. Do those cheaper ones work? What do you have to buy for it to actually work? So correct me if I'm wrong, 
Um, you may not even know the answer, but I'm assuming know. I'm assuming he uses a mask. Uh, no, it's a sleeping device. So oh. it does go over him and he does, does like, I don't know, he turns up like the elevation <laughs> that he wants to sleep at, you know, yeah. and then, but it's, it's, um, it's an affordable version of the very expensive, whatever the super nice ones are. But to me, I'm like, doesn't that still just deprive you of oxygen? I mean, isn't that really all it's doing until your brain gets used to that? So... It sounds like you are that he is using a hypobaric chamber. Of sorts, yeah. So, you know, you, like you mentioned, he cranks yeah. up the altitude. Yeah. So what that chamber is doing is it is changing the pressure mm. of the air around him, which creates less of a driving force between the oxygen that's available within the chamber and the environment and how his lungs are picking it up. There is a misconception around amount of oxygen at different elevations um, regardless of where you go in the atmosphere it is about 21% oxygen it's the change in pressure what that chamber is mimicking that is going to make the difference in how much we're picking up per breath so it those chambers mm -hmm. those artificial altitude you know simulating devices are a great way if you can afford it to mimic the again demands of that environment so yes, they do work in some ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he's doing it to train for Whitney. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's is that the goal for you is to essentially be a resource for those athletes. So I hope to work in a university setting and work with athletes to help them better prepare for these environmental extremes and. Ultimately, the, the most prev prevalent cause of sudden athlete death is exertional heat illness. So understanding the impacts of these environments mm -hmm. is really important for, you know, having athletes, you know, have, having a good experience out there, accomplishing these massive goals, but also for their safety. Um, I also am very passionate about educating, so I hope to give athletes tools so that they can be self-sufficient. So does it make us dumb at certain <laughs> altitude? Like why do we make bad decisions up high? So when our brain is deprived of oxygen, it is going to prioritize survival. Hmm. And you know, that's something unique about humans is we have cognition and all of these, you know, psychological abilities and barriers. And when we continue to ascend, we're exposing ourselves to less and less oxygen per breath, and it definitely impacts our ability to make sound decisions, um, to self-evaluate, because mm -hmm. we're more focused. Is this on like equivalent to four beers, or like how do you? <laughs> so they actually, so they actually um, talk about altitude illness in terms mm -hmm. of intoxication. Mm -hmm. So. So Brandon trains. He's training. Yeah, I'm training for altitude <laughs> right now. Actually, <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> This is, this is like 3,000 feet, I think. Yeah, I'm a lead athlete. <laughs> yeah, I know some of the lead athletes out there. I have not one, but this is, uh, maybe I need to get there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so definitely when we are um, starting to experience some negative side effects of altitude, it can it be compared to, you know, having a few beers. Um, but when it comes to individuals who aren't necessarily meeting the criteria for like an altitude-related illness, 
we do see decreases in decision making and focus. Yeah, there's hape, right? And is it mace? So there is acute altitude sickness. Yeah. And then there's high altitude cerebral edema and pulmonary edema. Okay. Um, so this is before that happens, we would still sort of get a little woozy up upstairs. Yeah. And okay. even if we're not aware of it. Yeah. Because um, our body is going to experience some like decline yeah. in a bunch of different ways when we don't have the resources we need to survive. And that's first what, and foremost. And that's what we wanted to sort of address with avalanche safety. So, and I don't know what, what elevation you got to get at to, or up to. And even if it's possible in Utah, if you're up over 10,000 feet, 11,000 feet where you're just not thinking like you should be and all the training you've had is, isn't as clear maybe. And that's where revisiting your skills is really important. We talk a lot about that within, you know, avalanche education as well as building a good team for objectives, having realistic expectations, um, but also kind of keeping an eye on some of those things. Mm -hmm. If you bring the the fact that these environments are going to impact how we view situations, you know, whether they're threats or challenges, and what you do following that, then you're a lot less likely to encounter some of those horrible events that that individual's face. So you're studying this. This is what you're going to do. So you'll be able to eventually at some point provide education for people. Where do you get your information? Where are there places right now that we could go sort of dive into some journals or something that's currently studying the effects on human performance at altitude? Yeah. So there is a few different journals. Um, right now I love Google Scholar. Mm. Go Google. Um, <laughs> it's just really important. There's going to be a lot of different journals that are going to include this type of research. It's really important to look at systematic reviews. So on Google Scholar, you can check the little box and that's gonna look at studies that are looking at all the studies on an idea, a research question, and then they build a consensus for you know how do we apply this to athletes. Um, so I definitely recommend Google Scholar. Unfortunately, there is some privilege within research where a lot of journals like the NSCA and the ACSM journals you have to pay for. So unfortunately that's the case, but using a broader search engine like Google Scholar, it's a lot easier to see what your options are. Okay. Now have you started working with athletes as well? So alongside going to school and learning how to be a better researcher, I'm working as an intern within the athletic department at the University of Utah. So I get some of some more hands-on experience with testing and managing um, athletic assessment data and communicating with different members of the high performance unit around the outcomes and trends that we see. Do you, are you a guinea pig yourself? <laughs> well, I do enjoy, I, my hobbies revolve around mountain sports, mm -hmm. um, so I, have firsthand experience around what it's like to be an athlete and exposed, an endurance athlete exposed to these environmental stressors, which is really important, I think. Yeah, you gotta kinda go get, put yourself out there so you know what people are saying, right? Understand it. Exactly. Did you, did you have a bad experience? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, sometimes But who doesn't, right? Who, who hasn't had a bad experience going to maybe a really hot place or a really yeah. cold place? Yeah. I, hey, I felt it once. I lived in San Diego for quite some time, and 
my first trip here, hike that I would have taken a hundred times, right? It was the first time that it just knocked me clean out. Like it was like mm. almost just I, I borrowed an inhaler from somebody like an asthma inhaler because I just needed that. And it was a kick in the, it was like a reminder that, hey, your body has Were you going to say a kick altitude. in the... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but usually altitude doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't bother me. It just really hasn't. And so I think that it's just that. No, we called him Todd to the top on the podcast before because he just runs up mountains. So that's interesting to hear that that happened to you. It, Yeah, it really threw me for a loop. And, oh. and it didn't take too long to sort of readjust again. But boy, sea level. I well, I have change. a question about that too is um, the conventional wisdom, probably because it works, is you climb high, sleep low. How many days do you need to sleep low for it to impact? Like how many hours? In other words, if I want to go, so we have Whitney on, on the agenda this summer. Should I show up a day before, two days before, a week before? Like how, when does it actually help you? So to, to make sure I'm understanding you're asking about. Sleep, sleeping at a decent altitude, I guess. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So say you have a race on July 1st and you're going somewhere that is nothing like where you live in terms of heat, cold, altitude, you name it. If you can get there 14 days beforehand, I know, that's when you can (laughs) fully adapt to the demands of that new place. So then follow-up question. Unfortunately, like the week before, I'm in Florida (laughs) for almost 14 days. So will I be completely acclimatized to the new elevation and humidity of Florida? And then when I come back, I have like a week like to prepare so again like the good thing is if you expose yourself to environmental discomfort the more that you expose yourself to that discomfort the less uncomfortable it'll feel Mm. not that it'll be completely like mitigated but you'll build a tolerance whether it's physiological or psychological we don't know but you get more comfortable doing uncomfortable things if you so if the weather in Florida sucks really <laughs> bad, that's going to help it's, you. It's always humid as hell and it's hot. Just, yeah. Basically, that's yeah, most <laughs> of the time. Yeah. And, yeah. and that kind of leads me into what I want, I'm going to, well, hopefully, study during my dissertation is I believe that exposing yourself to extreme heat, which you would have in Florida, yeah. is one of those, you know. I'm training by the beach <laughs> with a beer. One this of the- all makes sense now, Todd. <laughs> It, that could, you know, qualify as one of those uncomfortable yeah, stressors, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I would love to support you in your race <laughs> and and hear about your experience. Okay. You got to take some notes. Yeah. Yep. You got to report back. Okay. I'm happy to be a guinea pig if you need me. <laughs> all in all, like we know that having a strong aerobic capacity, so heart and lung abilities it is going to help mitigate the impacts of that new setting. Okay, that brings up another question then. Um, so these people doing high, like Everest, big mountains, the, the better, I mean, it makes sense to me, but really, I, I thought altitude would attack you no matter how good a shape you're in, is that correct? Yes, yeah, so okay. you can't run away from decreased pressure within the atmosphere. Right, so, Yes, work out and be in good shape, but it still might not solve all your altitude problems. So if someone is going to, you know, summit a big mountain like Mount Everest, um, they are going to be there a month ahead of time. 
Mm-hmm. And they're going to slowly chip away at that altitude, sleeping at base camps, um, base camps to become more adjusted, especially when you get to those extreme altitudes. There's a point at which our body does not adapt, called the death zone. Um, so you want to be as prepared as possible, but you don't want to be up there for too long. Do you have any desire to hang out in the death zone for, you know, study? Educational reasons. Educational purposes. <laughs> Well, it would depend on the funding. Yeah. Yeah. You could <laughs> uh, say you pull it. Would you go? Yeah. I mean, if, if someone's willing to pay for the research and my time to be there, I would definitely, you know, put myself in that situation. Yeah. Because it's very expensive to summit those big mountains. Yeah. Very cool. You brought a bunch of notes. Did we hit on everything or we? <laughs> I just wanted to organize my thoughts. Okay. There's a, I have a lot in my brain. Yeah. What are we missing? the importance of studying this stuff. I think it's a very, very something that we should touch on for sure. Yeah. And cause it, how does it help the everyday person, not just the athletes? So if we study, you know, these extreme environments on the body, we learn more about chronic diseases that Americans, classic Americans are at risk for mm-hmm. and diseases where hypoxia or lack of oxygen availability is like a key feature in that disease. So like cardiovascular disease and um, COPD, like those are chronic states of oxygen or low levels of oxygen within the body. So this understanding is extremely important. And especially as we see more frequent and you know, longer heat waves due to shifting climate, understanding these environments is going to be essential, not only for athletes, but also for everyday people. Yeah. Todd saw everyday people faint when they came out of grocery stores in Vegas. My folks live in Vegas. Yeah. 130 is happening now. And that's, um, that's insane. Like that's insane to live in an environment like that. That that's an uncomfortable environment. Um, and, and, and that is the absolute truth is that you spend any time at any time down there, they keep it, uh, say around 60 degrees inside 120 outside that you can imagine what happens when you hit that wall. And, and, and I saw it many times when I lived down there, it's just that stepping outside of the grocery store and you just go down. That is so crazy. And it's like, it, it goes crazy. beyond being uncomfortable. It's like dangerous. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's getting more common like those kind of temperatures is getting more common 120s is just kind of like a you're gonna hit that you know each time now they hit like 130 or something or near 100 that sounds horrible it gets above 90 i'm uncomfortable yes i know (laughs) exactly keep me in the 70s yeah yeah Yeah. today was great by the way i mean flip-flops thank you (laughs) yeah it's about time uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff, Beverly. I hope to have you back. Um, at least maybe we can get you in front of the, the avalanche people. Cause, cause it's fascinating to me how it does change your, the way you make decisions at altitude. Yeah. And knowledge is power, but unfortunately knowledge doesn't change behaviors. So the more we mm-hmm. talk about it and the more we work with the people that are on our team, the less likely we are to face extreme adversity. Yeah, you just sort of rolled through that. That was pretty pretty deep. <laughs> so knowledge is power, but knowledge doesn't change Behavior. behaviors. Yeah. Interesting. Like you know that 
you need to drink a lot of water every day, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean you will. Um, so something to think about. Sure, sure. Uh, well, we're, we have a, maybe, I don't know if there's room for a panel, but you know, yeah, I found a speaker for you. <laughs> no, I mean, this is fascinating, first off, and it is a beautiful segue into OAX and yeah. what this event is rooted in, and that's education. So um, that, we would love to have you at OAX. <laughs> <laughs> I accept Very your invitation. Cool. <laughs> <laughs>